The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. This morning we are bringing to an end our summer in the Psalms. I can't believe that summer is waning and coming to an end, at least for those of us uh, down in this area. I know for others of you who may be visiting from other parts of the country, school doesn't start for a while. I remember as a kid it didn't start till after Labor Day. But now it seems to start like the week after it ended. And uh, for those of you who are educators, you feel that same pain um, each year. Uh, But we're bringing this to an end. And then next week, uh, I'm excited that we are starting a new series just for four weeks uh, called Thrive. Just asking the question of how does the gospel uh, make us thrive uh, as a person, as a family, as a church, and as a community And so we're going to begin that, and you'll see that as our theme uh, throughout the year, that we want our church, we want our families, we want our community and people in there, in here, to thrive in their lives through the power of the gospel. But today we come to a very familiar psalm as we wrap up this series, the 23rd Psalm. And I was saying to Lisa this morning and to a couple of friends, it's more intimidating for me to preach a psalm that is this familiar than an obscure passage of Scripture For many of you know this, you've recited it, you've memorized it when you were a child. It is what you bring out in your life in those moments of desperate need. It is the psalm that you hear read at funeral services. It is a psalm of great familiarity. And so sometimes I feel like I have to create something new for you, but the reality is simply this, of simple faithfulness to God's word and allowing it to speak to us. But I'm amazed as I was preparing that I didn't see some things or maybe just simply forgot some things over the years through my familiarity. Familiarity oftentimes uh, breeds within us a loss of detail that we don't think through it anymore. It's just rote within our minds. And this morning as we approach the 23rd Psalm, this great song of the church, let's ask for God's blessing upon it. Let's pray. Father, we come and ask that you would bless our time together today, and now acutely through the power of your Spirit that you would bless your Word, that we would hear from you, and that you would remind us that you are our great shepherd, and that you lead us and tend to us, and ultimately will take us to be with you forever in a great place of flourishing and of peace. We look forward to that day. Now, would we be found faithful in these things? Amen. This is the very word of the Lord. A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his word. Amen. You know, as we come to any text, if you had taken a seminary class on how to preach or how to approach a text, 
It would have taught you at the very first to observe, to read and observe the form, the pattern, just how the original writer put together uh, the particular section of Scripture. And as you do that within this psalm, in these six uh, very simple verses, you would find that in the form, in this sense of introduction, that the form begins with the first three verses start with he. It speaks of God uh, in this third person of he, observing him outside, uh, David was saying, sort of outside of himself. But then in, Psalm, in verse 4, it turns and the pronoun becomes you. There's an intimacy and a change in verse 4 that all of a sudden he's not talking about he out there but you in a personal format. And then in verse 6, returns back to more of an observation of looking at who God is uh, in the theological form. And a simple lesson from that is by way of introduction this morning would be this. It's not enough to simply talk about God. It's not enough to simply consider who God is, but it is important within our prayer life, for this is a prayer, to speak to God. To take our theology, for all of us are theologians, all of us study, all of us have our theological frameworks, whether you realize it or not, you are theological in your beliefs, and to take that theology and integrate it into your life so much so that you don't simply say that God is a shepherd out there, but he is my shepherd. That God isn't simply out there in a transcendent form, and he's holy, and he's other, and he's unattached, but that he is imminent, and he is present, and he is with me in the middle of all that I'm going through in life. Too often in our personal lives, and then in the collaborative effort of our personal lives called the church, the church can either become that theological framework where God is holy and he is other and he is out there and they are all true theological statements about him and we worship him in reverence and, and, but we don't know him. There's no personal intimacy with God. Or the pendulum swings to the other side and God is only imminent. He is only personal. He is cute and cuddly and wants to snuggle up next to you and you put your head on his lap uh, and it's all about him being right there. And we speak in terms of who is your personal Lord and Savior. And it becomes all personal. Uh, and we've lost the transcendent. And so the balance within the Christian life is to understand the beauty of this transcendent God. Who is also an imminent and very present God. And bringing that in, David now comes. And he begins to talk about this God as his shepherd. And so what we're going to do today in the moments that we have together as we come and prepare to take the Lord's Supper is we're going to look at the shepherd. The first thing that we're going to see really is asking about the shepherd. Who is the shepherd? And the first thing that you see in asking the question, who is this shepherd, is you find in verse 1 that the shepherd is the Lord. It's right there. It's nothing new. You knew that. But as you considered it, did you consider that in your Bibles it's written in all capitals, L-O-R-D, that it's the word for Yahweh, the unspeakable word that no Jew would ever speak, that it was a word that God had used when he spoke to Moses at the burning bush, and Moses said, who shall I tell them is sending me? And God spoke, and he said, tell them that I am is sending you, that I am, that I am, that I am in and of myself the true God. That I have no beginning and no end. I have no need of anything else to sustain me. 
It is the word that Christ used, the title for himself, that he spoke of himself in many different ways. But when he said, I am, it led the leadership of the Jewish church at the time to pull and to rip their clothing, to take stones up, to destroy him. For they understood what that meant, that he was saying that he was the God. And so what David begins with may seem, and you quickly move through it, the Lord is my shepherd. Whoa, wait a second. It's the Lord. It's the God of the universe. It's the God who called all things into being, who is transcendent above all else. The God who sustains life, the God who conquered sin and death. This God, this God is your shepherd. I thought about an invitation to play basketball. And if someone said, hey, Bill, we're going to have a little competition. It's going to be two on two. And we're going to give you a basketball player to help you. My team would not stand a chance. But if they said, hey, Bill, we're going to give you the basketball player. His number is 23. And it's the color of the sky because God loves North Carolina basketball. And it's Michael Jordan. And so if I knew that my partner in basketball two-on-two tournament was the player... I would have an incredible confidence. I would be able to say Michael Jordan and I combined for 100 points. (laughs) I scored two, but we combined. You need to know who this shepherd is. Because in the knowledge of who he is, it gives you an incredible confidence to go out each day boldly into a world that wants to destroy you. But if you know that it is the God. Folks, we're just on the second word. Third. Fourth. The word is. Anyway. The Lord. First word. Sorry. I wasn't very good at math. But the Lord. That's who the shepherd is. But then, when we continue to ask the questions of who is this shepherd, we know he is the Lord. We also know that this shepherd is my shepherd. A personal pronoun. Very simple. A little observation. He is personally and intimately engaged with you. He is your shepherd. That means he knows you. That he is associating himself with you. The Lord of the universe is your personal shepherd. Who is now saying that I do not find it an embarrassment to be aligned with you in your life. That I am intimately involved with your comings in and your goings out. I am with you from the moment that I knew you which was before the foundation of time itself. And I will be with you always even unto the end. For I am your shepherd. He is your shepherd. An incredible statement of confidence of David. The audacity of To say that this God, Yahweh, was also my shepherd. And that I can go out each and every day knowing that I don't only have a shepherd, but I have the shepherd. And this shepherd is concerned about me. That he looks after me. And he has my back. That's who this shepherd is. So when we ask the question as you approach a text, who's the shepherd? The shepherd is the Lord. The shepherd is my shepherd. It begs a little question, maybe not as a second full point, but it begs a little question, why do I need a shepherd? 
If David said, the Lord's my shepherd, it begs you to ask the question, but why do I need a shepherd? And the simple answer is this, because you're a sheep. It's right there, right? Why do you need a shepherd? Because I'm a sheep. The scriptures are regularly and incredibly humbling to our sense of self. The scriptures are so often a frontal attack and an offense to our sense of self because this statement to say that I need a shepherd because I am a sheep is so incredibly humbling because if you've studied sheep, which I know many of you have, you know this about sheep. They're not smart animals. They smell and they stink. That they have a tendency to wander off. They're not aware of their surroundings. They have an incredibly low horizon. And they don't see what's just on the other side of a hill. And that they're vulnerable to attack. That's why we need a shepherd. Because we're a sheep. You see, we have to associate ourselves as a Christian and as one who, if you are considering Christianity, this may be the stumbling block for you. Because maybe you can, you can deal with who Christ is and his calls to be God. But you can't deal with the fact that you have to associate yourself with many undesirable descriptions. A sheep, a peasant, a prostitute, an orphan, a child, a leper, an enemy, a legalist, a tax collector, and so on. This psalm, even just in its first verse, is incredibly encouraging for we learn who the shepherd is, but we also learn of our great need of a shepherd. So then we come and we would ask the question, as you prepare and you look at this text, well, what does this shepherd do for me? Okay, I'll admit I'm a sheep. I'll admit that I need a shepherd. But what is he going to do for me? Well, he provides, he leads, and he restores. What does this shepherd do for you? He provides. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I will lack for nothing. It doesn't mean that you will not have any desires. It simply means that you won't have any lacking for what God has determined is good for you. There's the kicker. I shall not lack any good thing that the Lord has determined he wants to give to me. Not that I won't lack there's a lot of lacking in the world, lacking of food, lacking of justice, lacking uh, of equality, lacking uh, of life, lacking of healing, lacking. But what he's saying is this, the Lord is my shepherd and I will lack nothing that he determines is good for me. The Lord provides everything for me. You see, this is incredibly difficult for us to get our heads around because what that evidently means is that going through various trials and shadows means that God is saying that's good for you. It's good for you to go through that. We're going to look at that in a second. But the Lord says that he provides, that we lack nothing. This shepherd, what does he do for us? Well, he provides, but he also leads. He leads us. Well, a reasonable question to that would be, well, where does he lead me? Well, he leads me into green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. There's a sense in which God, both in the now, but ultimately in the hereafter, 
He leads us to places of flourishing, places of serenity and of peace. Ultimately, he says, I lead you to shalom. I lead you to a place where you can flourish along the way, where you can thrive to steal next week's sermon. He says, I lead you along this way. I lead you to paths. I lead you to pastures and still waters. I don't have time to go into it, but you realize that sheep are so idiotic that they would dehydrate next to a flowing stream because they need still water. They're intimidated and scared by moving water. I have a dog that reminds me about that. She's afraid of everything. (laughs) And that's what a sheep is like. It's afraid of everything and isn't wise enough in its own to save itself. And it says that the Lord leads us. So he leads us to these places. But it says he also leads us along paths. He leads us along paths. And we're like, well, good. Well, the Lord's leading me. He's taking me. He's got me on this path. But it's an interesting, it's not just any path. He says that it's a path for righteousness sake. It's a righteous path that he leads you along. Uh, It's a path that's marked by characteristics of who he is. And so it's not just you get to live your life however you want to live it. And at the end of the day, you end up in a green pasture. He's saying, I'm leading you, but I'm leading you along paths that reflect the very character and nature of the shepherd who's leading you. And some of us need to take that a little more seriously than we do. That our lifestyles matter. That the moral choices that we make matter. Paul said, don't sin that grace may abound, but live for righteousness sake. Live in a way that's honoring and pleasing to the Lord, honoring and pleasing to the good shepherd. That he leads us along not just any paths, but paths of righteousness. Where else does he lead us? Sometimes he even leads us into the valley of the shadow of death. God often becomes most real to us in the shadow. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why did this psalm become personal in verse 4? Verses 1 to 3 spoke about he. He's the good shepherd. He does this. He does that. Then he said, oh, but you, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. There is something salient about the shadow. There is something incredibly powerful about a place of desert, about a place of loss, a place of difficulty, a place of darkness. C.S. Lewis put it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I think the switch to the more intimate you was precisely when he enters into the valley of the shadow of death. And David realized, I've got to take what is a theory to me, what is something that I believe is true, and I know it's true, but now I have to know, God, that you are with me in the middle of this shadow. And folks, some of you are in the middle of a shadow right now. I know your stories. And being in a shadow is a tough place. Being a shadow is a fearful place. I want you to hear something. Don't give Satan too much credit. Maybe it's the Lord leading you there. So maybe instead of praying against the forces of evil, maybe pray for the shepherd to remind you that he's right there with you because he's right there with you. He led you there. 
And he said, you will be with me and your rod and your staff, they will comfort me. For I know that in the middle of this shadow, you're there. I know that in the middle of the breakdown of my marriage, I know that in the middle of the breakdown of my health or the health of my loved one, I know that in the middle of my children's lives, which seem to be so difficult, the breakdown of my parents' marriage, the breakdown of my home, whatever it is that I'm going through, God, in the middle of this shadow, you're there. You have to be there. Because if you're not there, then it's not just a shadow, it's real. And the reality is this, folks. Christ took on the real, so all we have to take on is the shadow. Christ didn't, he didn't confront the phantom of death. He confronted death and loss. He confronted it in such a way that he destroyed it. And now all there is is a fleeting shadow in this world that is leaving and will one day leave ultimately and finally in the pure light of the sun when he comes back again. But until then, folks, hear this. It's a shadow. It can't destroy you. It can scare you. It can overwhelm you. But it can't destroy you because your shepherd is right there with you. That's such good news. Any of y'all ever felt like you've been in the middle of that shadow for a long time? Man, when you're in the shadow, it's hard, isn't it? It's where I want our church again to be a place of honesty. A place where we, as a church, can come together and you can look around at somebody else, somebody maybe who's sitting there next to you today, and look at them and say this, I'm feeling like I'm overwhelmed by the shadow. Would you remind me? Would you remind me that the Lord is my shepherd and I'm not going to want, that he's got it right here with me? And that you, as a loving, faithful friend, would be right there to remind us of those things. So the Lord, it says that he provides for us, he leads us, and that he restores us. Isn't that an interesting statement? He restores you. Why do you need to be restored? Maybe because you get depleted. Maybe because you just get weary. And it's okay to get weary Sometimes we just have to buck up all the time. I joke with you, and I ask you, how you doing? I promise this is what I hear from all of you. I'm good. I'm good. You? I'm good. But I look and go, really, you're good. Your marriage is in shambles. Your finances are in shambles. You're good. Your children are in shambles. Your parents are in shambles. You feel isolated at school to try to stand for Christ. But hey, I'm good. I'm awesome, man. This is great. Woohoo! Go, Jesus. Instead of maybe being honest again with one another and with the Lord and simply saying this, Lord, I'm weary. I'm a little tired today. And I could use some restoration, Lord, today because I don't know if I've got enough to even get up. For some of you today, it's an incredible victory because you got up and you came to church. And I want to celebrate that with you. Because there's lots of times when you just want to go, I'm weary. And you need to hear this. The Lord provides for you. He leads you and he restores you. Ah, He restores a weary soul. That's who this Lord is. That's who this shepherd is. 
we have to keep on moving quickly. So we look and we say, okay, that's what he does. So what? So what? Well, he says he does all of this for his name's sake. And what we find in that little nugget is it gives us a motivation by which to live our lives. He says, I do all of these things. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to restore you. Uh, I'm going to do all of these things for my name's sake. I'm going to let you know that I do all of this so that my name will be great. Therefore, you do all that you do that my name would be great. It gives us a motivation for why we'd want to lead, uh, to be led down paths of righteousness. Why we would want to flourish why we would want to make it out of the other end, why we would want to come through suffering. We would want to do it for his name's sake, not for our name's sake. Many, many people need to have that shift. Lord, not my will be done, but yours be done. I don't want my name being highlighted in the middle of this, but I want yours highlighted in the middle of this. It destroys all sense of man-centeredness. It destroys it. And folks, it's an incredibly... A major recurring theme throughout all of Scripture is God's passion for his own name's sake. If you want some really good reading, go read Jonathan Edwards. Especially when it's God's passion for his own glory, a wonderful treatment that he speaks. And it says that all that God does is for his name's sake. And so we need to recognize that it gives us a motivation for our lives. What else do we learn about this great shepherd that we have, we learn that he's an incredibly gracious host. He's an incredibly gracious host. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He hosts the table for us. Interesting in the presence of mine enemies. Maybe it's because he's defeated the enemies and he's letting them see uh, what it is that they missed out on. Or maybe it's just what he's saying is this, you can find flourishing and peace in the middle of a battle if you have me with you. That ultimately all of those enemies are not going to go away and their voices are not going to be quieted until Christ returns. But in the meantime, I want you to know this, they can shout and they can yell and they can do all of that, but they can't disturb our table. Because I'm going to come in and I knock at the door and I want to come in to your world, into your life to dine with you. That's what it says in Revelation. I want to come and engage you so that I can have a meal with you. So that I can sit with you in the middle of everything else that's going on. And you can find peace. And I'm a gracious host and I anoint your head with oil. With festival oil, it doesn't make sense to us and our things, but I bless you. He honors you as his dinner guest. Instead of you honoring him to be your dinner guest, the king of the universe, the shepherd, invites you to a meal and says, I'm honored to have you in my home. I'm honored to have you at my table and I bless you today. And your cup is going to overflow. Oh. What a beautiful picture. Interesting, it comes in between, uh, it comes on the bookends of suffering. And I think the reason that it comes as bookends on suffering is to say this. This isn't the normative of life in this life, but there will be moments of festal joy. There will be moments in the middle of this life of joy 
And it's okay to experience that joy, even though there's suffering around. And then finally, he says this, ultimately, ultimately, this shepherd, he says, I'm going to satisfy all your longings in my son. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy, better way to translate it, shall pursue me. They're not just going to tag along and follow you, but they're pursuing you. His goodness and his covenant faithfulness to his promises to you will pursue you and overtake you in your life. And the ultimate end is that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All of our deepest longings satisfied in him. Isn't that good news? I think if I was to ask many of you to describe where you are right now, many of you would simply say this, I'm tired. I'm tired. And I'm ready to go home. Doesn't matter if you're 15 or 95. I hear it all the time. And the Lord is saying this to you today. I'm going to get you home. I'm going to take you home one day. And I'm going to put to rest all of your fears. And I'm going to help you understand all of your desires. are going to be met in me. Isn't that good news? It's nice to read the end of the book. It's nice to know the end of the story. Because I'll tell you this. When you go through the valleys, when you're smack dab in the middle of them, and it's incredibly dark, it's good to know not only is the Lord with you, but the Lord is taking you somewhere. He's leading you home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great blessings to us in Christ Jesus. Would we not only hear them, but would we believe them today? Appropriate them and the truth that they are into our lives. And would we celebrate you now, even more acutely as we come to this table, to take your food, for this cup overflows. This table is set, and it is a table of blessing in the middle of a storm. It is light and shadow, and we praise you. Amen.